Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, we learn how Gerard left college early to go pursue a professional hockey career in Europe, find out how he broke into Colombia almost five years later, why he was so behind for finance recruiting, and how he got his first break at City in equity research, only to jump five months later to Point72 as a research analyst. Listen to hear why he made the jump to a startup called Hivesell and what they're up to now. Enjoy. Gerard, welcome to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So if you could just uh, give the listeners a short summary of your bio. I know you've done a lot of stuff, but uh, just kind of a 30-second, two-minute spiel would be great. Sure. Uh, It's eclectic, to say the least. Um, Left college early to go play professional hockey. Uh, Retired after five years. Um, Went back to school to finish my education. Um, Came out of Columbia as a uh, 29-year-old man, which was a, a different experience, to say the least. Um, had a lot of catching up to do on the career front and found myself um, highly focused on accumulating as many skills as I could over the coming years in order to, again, play, play catch up. Um, and so I started off in uh, hedge fund accounting uh, at City, migrated over to uh, equity research, which then landed me from you know, the sell side and then I went to the buy side. Um, and then once I was on the buy side, uh, the world opened up to me um, with all the different types of roles and opportunities that exist there beyond just being a portfolio manager and an analyst um, and culminated uh, most recently in my uh, seat at Millennium where I was on the equities management team uh, overseeing roughly about uh, 30 portfolio teams and their research process, research technology, hiring, um, pretty much day-to-day operations. Very cool. And then what was your latest? Yeah. What was oh the yeah. Step? And then, and then there's that, right. Um, I, I decided to um, early 2020, uh, which is just perfect timing, um, pack up what would have otherwise been a, a, a career long seat at millennium um, and left to go help run a tech startup. So I'm currently at a uh, edge computing startup called Hivesell. Uh, we're on the COO, CFO of the business. Awesome. Super exciting. So let's go all the way back to undergrad. You were at uh, University of Vermont. Are you a New England a native, a Canadian? What's going on? I grew up on Long Island. Um, my, my accent is a, is a healthy mix between uh, Long Island, Boston, and Canadian with virtually no Long Island in there, which is great. I think a lot of people, um, if there was one uh, accent that I think everybody just generally hates, it's Long Island accents. Um, and so I've been able to uh, disassociate myself with that. Um, but yeah, I, uh, 
I grew up on Long Island, uh, played locally, both uh, junior hockey and um, and high school hockey, and was fortunate enough to get a full academic and athletic scholarship uh, to, to the University of Vermont to play hockey there. So uh, tell me a little bit about this, the progression as you're kind of, you, you're there for the full th- or three years? It yeah, like. I was there for three years. And then um, I had a really interesting experience where uh, in between my junior and senior year, I went over on a... Um, a European hockey tour, uh, you know, m- what people don't realize and, you know, they shouldn't is that, uh, professional hockey over in, in Europe starts early. And so there was an opportunity to go over with a, a few of my other buddies that were, you know, at Northeastern and Harvard and, and a few other schools, um, and play professional teams to get ready for my own season. Um, and at the end of the trip, I got offered a contract and basically called home and, basically said to send the rest of my clothes over. Uh, That's awesome. So you were, you were what, 20 years old? 21? I was, I was, I was just about to, I was 20 years old at the time. And so tell me, did you, can you share what that contract was or who, like how much did they pay you? Oh God, no, it, it, um, it, 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 it wasn't enough to pay a speeding ticket. Let's put it that much. Uh, just enough to live basically like 10 grand, like 20 grand for the year or 50 grand. For the yeah. Year. And, and they give you a house, they give you a car. Um, so why, t- why take that? Um, you only get to live once, right? Like I felt, um, I felt confident in myself, right. To say, um, you know, school, education, job, workflow, all of that is, you know, I have the rest of my life to do that. Um, my body is as, uh, as young as and strong as it will ever be right now. And I, I felt confident in, in at the time what I was going to, or about to try and do, um, and wanted to basically just put my mind towards one thing, right? Because at, at that time at school, right, school is undoubtedly a distraction, especially if you're on a full scholarship, there's demands in terms of, you know, certain GPAs and, and things of that nature. And at the time, I just felt like if there was ever a time to give it a go, it would be then and now. For sure. Yeah. So where in Europe were you? Uh, I was in Berlin. And so, you know, I looking back on, you know, I consider myself a pretty introspective person. Um I was, I was very immature at 20. Um, and I like, like most of us. (laughs) Yeah. I I recognized about that about myself and felt like getting thrown, you know, I'll tell you the story when I, when I ended up signing the contract and, um, and we were in a completely different city. Right. And so my coach at the time literally dropped me off at the train station, gave me a hundred euros and was like, good luck. (laughs) And that was it. Like, I was in the, I, I didn't speak a lick of, of German, right? I didn't know where I was geographically speaking. I knew this new coach that I was about to go play for was going to pick me up at the, you know, Bonhoeff, whatever, in the middle of Berlin. Um, and, and that was it. That was it. And it was grow up time. Right. And so yeah. I, um, I, I look back fondly on that time because I realized that I, I needed that to grow up. Was there any inkling at that point of finance or anything like that? Or was, it was very much just hockey life. Hockey was life and life was hockey life. Yeah. I think it was that, but in the back of my mind, you know, one of the stipulations of me doing this was, you know, promising my mom, I would go back to college and get my education. Um, and I had at that point always had an affinity towards numbers. And, you know, my dad was um, my dad was on wall street for 30 years or whatever. So I, what, what did he do? Uh, so he was a, um, he worked at like Kidder B Kidder Peabody back in the day. He worked at Lehman brothers. Um, cool. uh, he, he was a, an operations guy. Um, 
execution guy. Very so cool. He was handling uh, global execution for um, for Lehman Brothers and for Kidder. Awesome. So you were in the hockey world for almost five years, four, four and a half plus years. Yeah. Um, tell me how that all progressed. So it sounds like you were kind of getting some traction, um, yeah. you know, to, to hang around that long. Sure. Um, so yeah, you you were back in the U.S. You pay, played, I think, in the minor minor leagues yeah, I, of, I of the in, Canadians I, and the Predators. I played a little bit in uh, in the American Hockey League and primarily in the East Coast Hockey League. So effectively, AAA and AA baseball for people who don't uh, understand the levels of hockey. Yeah, what's your thought process in terms of just how crazy difficult it is to make to the NHL? Um, it's nuts. It's nuts, right? Yeah, and and there's like it, it's funny you. Um, you, you think you're good and then you play against those guys and you're just like, uh-uh. <laughs> right. And, and it got to the point, like it was so obvious to me that, um, that relative to my skills, relative to my age, because at, at that point, the NHL had just hockey in general had, had changed. It was at that cusp of um, getting younger and younger and younger mm-hmm. and people spending not having as long of a career. And so the idea of using my mind, to make money just felt like, again, I, I always had this, I call it, I call it a quiet cockiness about myself. I just, I, I thought I could do it. Right. I thought I could, you know, now was the time to actually use what I, what I considered I was good at, which was, you know, critically thinking and yeah. Um, and going from there. So how did you even get into Columbia? Brute force. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how that works. Cause you know, you go from a university of Vermont and makes sense, yeah. you know, to it was a to great Columbia. trade. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was funny. I'll never forget it. I was sitting at, um, uh, it was my cousin's wedding weekend. Um, very fortunate. I come from a family where my uncles were incredibly successful. One of them's a, an orthopedic surgeon down in Florida. And I remember sitting in, and having a beer with them. Um, and he was asking me what I was going to do. He was interested in, you know, what, what the next phase of my life was going to be. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go back to UVM. And I had a year left and, the, you know, my scholarship persisted, even though I left. Oh, okay. um, and they, 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 they held it for me, which was incredibly nice of them. Um, and so my uncle, I'll never forget it. My uncle looked at me. He was just like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? He's like, you have, you have life experience that classrooms would pay for, that universities would pay for. Um, and he's like, I would go to, I would call Princeton, I would call Harvard, I would call Yale, I would call Columbia um, and tell them your story. And by the way, you, you couldn't, you couldn't play hockey there. Could you? Cause you no, no, I had, I, yeah, I had already, yeah. <laughs> you'd be like crushing people. I didn't. Yeah. The, the thing was though, is I didn't even want to at that point. Like, yeah when you look back on my, when I look back on my life, I never, I was never just a student. Right. Um, I always had distractions. I was always, and, and I was just teasing, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you a story about when I got to Columbia. So um, the, uh, so yeah, I, I, unbeknownst to my uncle, I only went to Columbia. I, I only called up there and Columbia has this really interesting program called the school of general studies, which was, um, built and designed for uh, World War II vets coming back from, from war to reacclimate them into society. So it was this idea of uh, a non-traditional student being put into a traditional college atmosphere um, and allowing their life experience to drive their, their educational curiosity and things of that nature. It's a really, really, really unique program um, that was um, really defined by the, the previous um, 
uh, what are they called? Um, heads of the school, this, this gentleman by the name of um, Peter on um, phenomenal human, phenomenal human. And, um, and so when I got there, I just realized that like, you know, this was my chance to sit in the front of the classroom. This was my chance to, and I just found new and unique ways to, to learn. But it was, when I say brute force, it was, I went on, I met with everybody in the admissions department. Um, I met with teachers, I met with faculty, I met with um, alumni. And at a certain point, it was just like, all right, let the kid in already, right? Like, it was just like, can somebody stop him from coming to school like un, un, unannounced? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that was it. I, I just, I, there was, I had one track, one track mind, which makes sense. Right. It was, uh, I was just being myself. Were you thinking Columbia just because of New York, you know, being near the financial. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you were interested in going to like Princeton or, or whatnot, or you, you would have probably gone there, but it was more like Columbia was where you wanted and you just focused on that. That's it. You think that really played a role, just harassing all the admissions people? Like hundred percent. Because, because again, my my when I left, you. How did you sweet? How did you sweet talk them? How did you do it? Like I know you said persistence, but was there like? Yeah. I mean, you can't well, like eventually they're like calling the cops on you if you're too crazy. Yeah, right? for sure, for sure. <laughs> no, I think it. Um, I had a story to tell, right? And you know, I've been, and this, this applies to jobs. This applies to, um, I think just generally speaking, right. Um, you have to look at your resume three-dimensionally, right. If you don't, then all you are is a piece of paper. I remember one of my buddies was telling me, um, he was, uh, he was, a, uh, two years out of business school he was responsible for the recruiting for the Columbia Business School at I think it was one of the one of the big banks. And this guy's this guy's boss walked in. True story. Walked in, grabbed half the resumes, threw them in the garbage and said, I don't want to hire anybody that's unlucky. Anymore. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Yeah. And I'll never forget hearing that because it just makes you realize that when you drop your resume into those random boxes, right? Resume drops, the odds of you getting that job are almost zero, right? Unless you have some way of making that piece of paper come to life. And so the way I saw that working was I sent in my resume, I sent in my application. And then I made sure people knew that when they opened my application, there was a, a huge store. Like I was a three-dimensional person to them. Right. Um, and because there's so much nuance to everybody's life, it's so hard to like, you know, find some way on your resume to, you know, whether it be for a job or a school or whatever to, to articulate all of the context and all the meat behind who you are. Right. But how did you even get them to give you the time of day? Like, how did you actually, did you I show up, in? I, sh I showed sure? up in a, I showed up in a coat and tie and just waited until somebody talked to me. And so who were you able to talk to? Head of admissions? I, yeah, I talked to the dean of admissions and then pretty much every one of his underlings. <laughs> because awesome. at the end of the day, it was like, who, I didn't know who was going to open up my application and read it. So I made sure everybody knew who I was. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I love the tenacity. So tell me a little bit about kind of, uh, so you're, you know, you're finishing up, what is it almost a year or two there? 
Yeah, I was finishing up a year or two there. Um, and then how are you thinking about things? Are you immediately starting to look into finance type roles? Yeah, research I was. Type? And I was wildly under um, educated, underprepared, underprepared, yeah, underprepared, yeah. underprepared for um, understanding what it meant to get an internship, how to get that internship. Which is surprising given how tenacious you were to get into Columbia. Like how it's the same skill set, right? Almost. It was actually a function of timing, right? Because I started. I started my first semester at Columbia in January, like in the, in the spring semester. And, and so everybody, I was late to the game. Um, and then I was, I look back on it and I was ignorant too. I didn't know how to prepare for the, the interviews that I even got. Right. Um, I'll never forget sitting down with um, the recruiter from city talking about um, corporate finance and they were, he was like, so which department of corporate finance do you want to go into? And I'll never forget responding to him and be like, well, can you tell me more, right, about each one of these things? And he's like, no, you were supposed to research this. And I was like, oh, that's how this works, right? <laughs> I, I, yikes. Um, I, yeah. didn't read, I didn't read that, that, that piece of advice yet. So, um, so you were still kind of floating. You were still kind of a young, in terms of job uh, interview skills, you were still a young kid. Yeah, I had I had virtually none. I had virtually none. So is that why you kind of ended up in accounting, right? That's you ended up. But yeah, how, how did you get even get? How did you get that? How did you get that job even? With, yeah. So um, at the time, my my dad was working at um, City Hedge Fund Accounting. Like he had you know been partially retired, and like most guys that work in Wall Street for thirty years, they have in his in his opinion. <laughs> Um, a world of, you know, a lifetime of, of experiences that, you know, these, you know, new fund accountants or whomever operations guys just don't have. Right. Because my dad was doing it before computers. Right? Yeah. It's and nice. so um, my hat, my dad had to do all of like the reconciliations of a bank by hand with, with his, his team. Right. Yeah. Um, trade reconciliations were, were done three or four days later. Right. Crazy, like you can't even imagine walking out of the, the, the a bank or a hedge fund now and, and not having a bar, right, at the end of every day and, and closing your books almost every single day. Um, and so my, my dad had all of this like institutional knowledge. So he, he you know, it was, he was, um, he was basically doing this on the side a little bit and keeping himself busy. And um, he introduced me to his, uh, his counterpart at, at City Hedge Fund Services. You know, I got hired quite frankly, as a part-time guy, you know, to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, keeping, uh, keeping with tradition, just brute force taught myself, you know, VBA. I taught myself, you know, all the things about Excel. I taught myself about, you know, all the different uh, just accounting aspects of, of stocks and, and derivatives and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the biggest thing for me was just this recognition of like, well, where does this end? right? Does this end, like having this knowledge base, does this end in a really good place? And the answer was no, right? Um, like I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be in the back office, right? Um, so how did you manage to make the transition to equity, re- equity research? That's a super was, tough transition it's internally. Actually, yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, so um, hockey is a very small world. And so at the time I was coaching um, uh, in this youth hockey organization up in, um, the Marinac. Um, and the guy that was running the program, uh, this phenomenal guy, 
but he was also in a uh, small, small detail in this guy. He used to be Aerosmith's road manager. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Okay. So I've had, I've had beers with this guy probably three or four times in my life. I've never heard him tell the same story twice. Like just the best person to go out to drink. <laughs> awesome. And so I called him, I, I called him one day. I was like, Hey, Rich, I, you know, it's been a while since I caught up with you. Like, I'd love to drive up and see you after practice or whatever. He's like, listen, I, I just started a new business. I have no time. He's like, in two minutes, tell me what you're doing. At the time I was at city. So I called him. I was like, you know, I'm at city. I'm doing this. He's like, I got this guy. He's like, you got to call this guy, John Rogers, um, who unbeknownst to me was the head of equity research at, at city, mm-hmm. big hockey fan and, and all these yeah. kinds of things. And so he was like, I told John, you're calling him, give him a call when you can. And so I called John. I was like, John, this is Gerard, you know, uh, Rich told me to call you. He's like, what are you doing right now? I was like, uh, nothing actually. He's like, there's a shuttle from um, Jersey City over to 3D8 Greenwich leaving in like 15 minutes. He's like, get over here. I'm like, okay. So I jump on the shuttle, I come over and no word of a lie, he went and met, met me across the street from 388. Um, we talked for, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And he was like, you want to work in equity research? I was like, sure. He's like, all right, wait right here. <laughs> and he went back into 388 and grabbed like one by one, grabbed a bunch of different analysts that were hire, trying to hire junior research associates. And um, I eventually stumbled on um, somebody there and it just worked out. And I ended up walking away that day with a basically an equity research job that I wasn't fully prepared for. <laughs> So how did you, so he was pulling people out to kind of interview like analysts and from, yeah, to, that's exactly right. Like it was, it was, it was, were like you better or you're more prepared at that point? Like, how did you even yeah, say you I, wanted to do equity research? You were a little more prepared. I was a, a bit more prepared. I had a good buddy that uh, had just left there again, a hockey guy. Um, so he had prepared me to some degree because um, I knew I was going to end up in this place at some point. I just didn't realize it was going to be that day. Right. Um, it moves fast sometimes, right? So, so why such a short stint there? Tell me what, what happened that another opportunity came knocking. Tell me how that happened um, to switch the buy side. Yeah, it was, um, it was very fortuitous again. Um, Cause it was five months at city, right? And, or even less. Yeah. It was like six months of, in, okay. in equity research. And yeah. I got um, a buddy of mine called out of nowhere. He was like, Hey, listen, we're starting this new group at point 72. It's, you know, a fundamental research group and we're doing all these things. And my boss loves hockey players um, and their mentalities. And, you know, um, would you want to come interview? And um, I'm certainly not going to name names or speak ill of, of, you know, what was going maybe at the time at city, but um, it just wasn't, it wasn't working out with me and the analyst that, uh, that I was working for at the time. Um, and, uh, this, why, was do, you, why do you think that is just the unrealistic expectations? Were you just too green and taking a while to get up the learning curve? What are you honestly looking back at it? It was completely misaligned expectations. Okay. Um, very different. It was, um, what I wanted to be doing, what I thought they were going to teach me to do was just completely different than what I was doing. I, I like unpacking that because there's, this happens a lot to people where they kind of jump into a role they think they want. It happened to me. I went to private equity, got fired and within three months, um, it sounds like you, you have found a better opportunity and that's why you jumped. But yeah, for me, it was like just very different going banking where they're like telling you when you go to the bathroom to private equity, they're like, didn't talk to you. 
for like, <laughs> I think you just had to know what to do. And for me, it was like a super tough transition. I wonder, was there any of that kind of when you jumped to, to equity research from a, like an operations role or was it more just no, like- No, it was, um, this, 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 this analyst had just a very different opinion of what I should be doing. And it, it. and it had nothing to do with equity research. <laughs> it, uh, um, I thought I would be touching stocks. I thought I would be, you know, looking at balance sheets, writing reports, at least listening on company calls. And it was like, no, you haven't earned that. And so you're going to, you're going to do this for a hazing. Until, yeah. It's just a hazing yeah, culture. You're going to, you're going to do this until I tell you you're, you're better than until you you're allowed to do this. Um, right. And it was tough because I think that that person in particular was just very incongruent with the other analysts that I had run into at city. It was a, it was an interesting, uh, interesting time in my life to say the least. So you were actively looking or you just, I don't just think happened. I was, I, it, it just happened. Just happened. Okay. I, I, I would love, I would love to uh, attribute it to divine intervention to say the least. Okay. So point 72 comes calling. You of course say yes. Um, it's interesting. Do you mind talking about like operations paid equity research then to, to the buy side of what the jumps were? I assume they were all pay raises. Yeah, they were. Um, I was probably, I, from operations to equity research, it was probably a, I earned twice as much. It's like 50 to a hundred or something. Yeah. Something like that. And then, um, and then from sell side to buy side, it was probably an additional 20 or 30%. Um, that sounds about, okay. That's what I would guess, um, you know, a few years out of school. Okay. So you're, you're there. How, how is it different? Is it better? Are you actually doing stocks and doing <laughs> research or not? Yeah, I was, I was doing research. Um, it was, it was here that I started recognizing um, the value of data. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, and the organizations, right. Again, when I got to point 72, I, that was the time where I realized that, wow, there's more to hedge funds than just being a portfolio analyst or uh, a portfolio manager or, or an analyst, right. There's all, you mean you can, you can do business development and re and, and hire people. That's pretty cool. Um, you could do uh, those are a whole data analytics team. Probably yeah. Right? There's a yeah. whole data analytics team that was being built at the time. A um, lot of different venues. You just kind of had to get there, right? And then you 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 had to keep it, right? You couldn't be an idiot. Um, and but then you also realize stuff about yourself. Like I realized very quickly one of the core reasons why I think I was generally unhappy at that time in my life was because I was stuck behind a computer screen. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm by definition, an extrovert. Right. And so, um, sitting behind a, a, a computer screen, typing research notes or working on an Excel model is like my hand starts to shake. Right. Um, <laughs> because you're, 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 you're not fulfilling like a, a, a primal piece of your, of, of yourself that, if you ignore that for a long enough period of time, it, it becomes really unhealthy. Um, which so you, did you recognize that by the, you say you're pretty introspective, but did you recognize yeah, I, it back at the time? hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And so what were you thinking? Like, what's the next step? How did you even go? But you're like, uh Oh, like I'm down this equity research or this research path. Yeah. I it, should be in, I should be in sales or whatnot. Or no, it, was, it, it was more about like, um, at that time I had, I understood what a research process looked like. Right. Um, I could, I could talk stocks with, with people, right. Um, still remains, still remain to be seen whether or not I could, uh, 
I could actually deploy capital or things like that. But again, I didn't want that stress. I didn't, I didn't want that for myself. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I was fortunate to um, stay in touch with uh, somebody who I worked with at Point72 that worked at Citadel. Um, and he moved over there. And then um, another person within, uh, at the time, Surveyor, they were looking for to build out the business development team um, and found myself with an opportunity to finally be out in front of people, talking to people, interviewing people. But the, the other aspect of it too, is like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I can say that wholeheartedly, but what I was cognizant of is how do I go build up very, you know, effectively mutually exclusive skill sets, right? So um, I had worked with uh, accounting, right? I had worked with uh, equity research at this point. You had taught yourself some VBA. Yeah, I taught taught myself a little bit VBA, just to, just enough to be dangerous. Yeah, um, I've since forgotten all of it, which yeah. is it is what it is. Um, and um, and then when I when I saw the opportunity at Citadel, it really was okay. How do I understand uh, a portfolio construction research process? How do I tie that all together? How do I start to figure out who's full of shit and who's not? Excuse my language. That's fine. Um, and so this job at Surveyor, it's that that came up. This business analyst, this business development. Yeah. What did th- what exactly did that mean? Like day to day? Or you so you said you're interviewing, so you're working with HR to interview people. Like what do you? Well, you no, I was working directly with the portfolio teams, right? Understanding, you know, was it uh, coverage that was missing, right? If it was coverage, what type of skill set? What type of whatever? And then it was. Um, it was cultivating relationships or at least attempting to across the, the buy side in order to, you know, see and inevitably um, interview talent and, and draw them away and draw them to surveyor. Um, but it was also as, it was as much about learning the technology that existed within Citadel. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and, and again, I think my time at Citadel only reinforced what was slowly becoming something that I was drawn to, which was um, how do you, how do you take in data, right? Um, how do you interpret it? And how do you do that in a scalable, repeatable way so that you become introspective about your research process, you know, uncovering bias and in, in your construct and how you trade and all these kinds of things. And so I found myself more and more involved with um, how, do I, how do I take the relationships that I now built with the portfolio teams, right? And how do I now recognizing that there was an, um, uh, the portfolio teams at, at, at Surveyor to some degree were underrepresented from an education standpoint with the technology that existed within Citadel more broadly. Mm-hmm. How, how do I go learn that technology and bring it to the teams to, uh, to bring out the efficiencies and, and things of that nature that quite frankly, Citadel labored over. Um, but the, the, the way that Surveyor had been built and, and brought up you know, opened up the, um, there was just this disconnect with, with the technology. How, how should the listeners think about the connection between Citadel and Surveyor? Because for those that don't know. Yeah, so um, Citadel's long short equity business began and started with Global Equities, which is their flagship long short equity brand. Mm-hmm. Um, Surveyor started as a, as a new way of, of deploying capital for them. So it started off as something called Pioneer Path. Uh, which was effectively a fund of funds at the time, right? So they would seed managers um, outside the building. And then I think it was right around 2008, 
when um, their ability to control the decisions of these portfolio managers outside the four walls of Citadel became a problem. So a surveyor served as a, um, as a way to suck in all of this talent and all the capital that they had deployed, put them underneath the Citadel you know, technology stack and, and trading. And, um, and then it, it just took a little bit of time to figure out who was the right portfolio manager that would succeed in this, in this methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, and undoubtedly that was, um, there was a gentleman there by the name of, of Mark Hansen, who, you know, was basically the third hire at, at, at surveyor and, and basically hired every single portfolio manager, um, uh, over time. Um, great mentor to me, really good, really good guy. Awesome. So you were there for a good three years. There's a nice run. So yeah. Should I think of your, your role there almost as like a, you're like a conduit between the, the, the mothership and, and surveyor or is, is there like, you know, no, I was, I was at the time I was reporting directly to the COO of, of, um, of surveyor. Got it. Um, and you know, there was a, there was a transition period there where I was doing a lot of business development stuff at the beginning, the first half of my tenure there. And then the second half was, um, business development, be more specific, the hiring, the hiring and, okay. and yep. And then internally, um, my last year, year and a half, there was deploying, um, the technology. So learning the technology and then bringing it to the portfolio teams and, and hopefully enhancing their process to, to some degree. Got it. So you're there for you know, a good three years. Why jump? Um, I, I, I felt like there was in hindsight, when you look at millennium, I didn't know as much about millennium as, um, as I grew to and, and, and truly appreciated once I had gotten there, um, nothing short of an incredible business that Izzy's built. Um, you give the listeners who don't know millennium, well, like a, just a quick summary. Yeah. So millennium was, is, has been around since 1989. Um, it really is a platform by every definition, right? So they have all of these, you know, trading and back office and everything. They apply all of that to every portfolio manager that they bring on. They give you capital, you do your, you do your business. And um, it's, it's, it's just a meritocracy. It's, it's very straightforward. You, you get paid out every year, exactly what you made. Right. Um, But there's, you know, all of these nuances to that, right? It means that um, it means you have to produce, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's sink or swim. It's very sink yeah, or swim it's, culture. It's, it's yeah. a sink or swim. And and it previously before I got there, the 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 idea of the equities business um, was very hands off, right? It was very. It was almost each each portfolio team was their own effective business. Mm. They ran their own hiring. They ran their own, you know, portfolio analytics. They did all these. Um, Everyone's doing like different technology stacks all around for every single yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and so they brought you in to try and get some best practices across the well, they, board. Or? Well, my my they brought my brought they they brought my boss in to do that, and then my boss hired me to help execute it. And so got it. I was very fortunate to get hired by a gentleman by the name of Mike Brucci, who you know to this day remains. Um, one of the more influential guys in my life, just the way he, the professionalism, the way he conducted himself, I, I remain eternally grateful for the opportunity. But, you know, he came in with this completely radical idea of, well, why don't we help the teams, 
right? We, we get to see across 60 portfolio teams, we get to have some of the best portfolio managers on the street. Well, why don't we spend incrementally more time with each one of those portfolio managers, understand best practices, and then effectively distribute those best practices more broadly across the entire yeah. effectively portfolio of human capital. And then the assumption would be that uh, everybody would benefit, right? And so one of the key pieces that um, I was fortunate to help work on was, was really this, um, this portfolio dashboard, um, this portfolio optimizer, you know, all these things, these tools that historically each one of these portfolio teams was doing slightly different. Um, and so when it came time to analyzing their book, both from a management level, but also their own level, um, the consistency of that data mattered, right? Yeah. And so we spent an inordinate amount of time um, uh, stabilizing and scaling the, the, the calculations in, in such a way that regardless of who you were, right, you would go into the tool and this column and this row meant this for everybody. So you, now you had this yeah. incredible apples to apples comparison across the entire portfolio and the incremental changes that came as a result of seeing that truly gave you gave uh, Pete Santoro, who's the head of equities there, a, a, a completely new view on, on the business and, and how it's truly the, the, the pulse of the business, right? We, we really saw it as that. That's awesome. So tell me about the latest opportunity and the jump there and the excitement around uh, HiveSell. And then we can call it because I know you got to leave soon, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, HiveSell, um, again, falling in line with this idea of um, data and how people use it. Um, it's one thing for a portfolio manager to use their trading data one way. That's easy. That's centralized, right? There are truly decentralized problems that the world, that businesses in general are facing. Um, you know, like anything, there's, there's uh, patterns, right? That, that happen in most industries. And, and in, in the case of compute, um, there have been really four big pendulum swings, right? From a centralization to a decentralization back and forth. So the first one was obviously to the mainframe, right? Then it was to the personal computer, right? Now it went back to the cloud. And now what we're, what we're seeing is that there's a momentum building back towards decentralization towards this something called edge computing. Um, and, and this idea of putting compute power as close to the raw data as, as possible because there's a proliferation of, of sensors and IoT, uh, Internet of Things related data. Yeah. And there's, there's not a great way of processing all of that information. And so what we're finding is a lot of the companies we deal with at the margin are having to compromise which data sets they choose to analyze in order to come to the conclusions that they think they have to are our argument is acquire it all, right? We, we're, we're a data acquisition story. We're a last mile of compute story. Um, we're an edge computing story. So we're, there, we're all of these things, right? Depending upon who you talk to um, and the flavor of, of the problem that you're trying to solve. And so um, that's where, uh, so I was fortunate to meet my, the CEO of the company um, six years ago. Uh, while I was at point 72, um, he and I have stayed in touch over the years. I became a personal investor in the business in 2019. Um, and then after, um, a pretty sizable seed investment from Mellanox, which is now NVIDIA, 
um, he offered me a job at the at the end of, of 2019, which at the time sounded like just the best idea, right? Uh, we, we had all these proof of values that were going out with like Coke Industries and NBC Universal, the world was fine. What's this virus, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'll never forget just incrementally every day because I, I had a three month notice period at Millennium. So from the time I quit to the time I started, the like world fell apart. <laughs> yeah, the world literally fell apart. My first day on the job was March 16th, right? Oh my last gosh. Year. My birthday was March 14th. My 40th birthday was, and there was a party. We had like the last raw and like half the people canceled. And it was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like the last get together before everyone was like the whole world shut down. Yeah. Um, it's a hell of a way to go out, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, just under the wire. But no, we got, um, you know, when I look back, uh, I would I would make this, the same decisions all over again. I think, um, you know, I, I'm one of the lucky ones. I, I found myself in just uh, one of my coaches always used to describe luck as like operation meets, you know, um, preparation meets uh, opportunity. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and so having, you know, gone back to business school uh, a little while, like in 2014, you know, one of the core questions that my CEO asked me when he was trying to challenge me to come over here was, you know, he was like, I don't think you went to business school to be running an equities management team. I, I, it doesn't sound congruent. I think that there's an entrepreneur in there somewhere. And if I can, if I can, um, if I can uh, pull that out of you, I think you're going to be, I think you're going to see the world in a completely different way. And I couldn't help, but that nagged at me for, for weeks. Um, and he turned out to be right. I think there was a huge learning curve, right? I came here as the COO, um, and within four months got promoted to the CFO or took on the CFO title because I had to, right. There was, yeah. I just had to move and shake. Like I had to go get, you know, an SBA loan, uh, to, to, uh, supply the business with capital. I had to, you know, build the financial model. I had to, uh, re-architect all of our accounting and chart of accounts. I had to figure out our new banking. Um, and I, there was no time like today to fit, finish that stuff because there was a sense of urgency I'd never felt before. Um, especially since, you know, retiring from hockey and, um, and listen, here we are, we just, uh, you know, we raised four and a half million dollars in the middle of last year, in the middle of the pandemic, which was, um, I consider a, a pretty good success, right? Yeah. Um, and then we just, congrats uh, on that, by the way, I didn't think we talked since then. No, thank you. And then we, um, I was just able to get a, uh, a lead investor for our $20 million series A. So we'll be closing that here in the next, um, month or month or two, which is exciting. Super exciting. Yeah. Gerard, thanks so much for sharing your story. Any last or final words of wisdom kind of looking back at your whole career so far? Yeah. I know there's still um, a long, long way to go, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it really is to me, it's all about being, being flexible and kind of letting go, right? Letting go of expectations of, of yourself, letting expect, letting go of expectations of what this job is supposed to be for you at, at whatever. It, it's all going to serve a purpose, right? And even if you're, you know, at this very moment, somewhat unhappy with where where you are career-wise, you know, there's blessings blessings in disguise all over the place, um, and they're usually in the form of of new and unique skill sets, new, new and unique opportunities that if you're willing to put your hand up and take them, um, you might never know where you might otherwise be. Right. And so, um, 
and then just work like the, the, the idea of work ethic is something that, um, you know, hockey ingrained in me, like, um, you know, as I was saying earlier, this, this idea of brute force, everything in my life is about brute force, right. Yeah. Um, control what you can control. And, and, and to that degree, if you can control more, control more, right. Because then all of the ambiguity, all the probability, all the statistics go out the window and you control hundred percent of your, your outcome or your, your destiny or your, your goal or close to it um, or yeah. close to it. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the other part of this too, is this willingness to fail, right. Failure is not as bad as everybody seems says it is. Um, it's usually if you if you're willing to look inside of yourself about why it didn't go the way you expected to, why you failed, um, there's a you get to learn so much about yourself and the incremental step you take towards whatever you're supposed to be doing is a lot clearer if you're willing to if you're willing to go through that you know introspective exercise. I love it. Let's end on some introspection. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. It's so good to see you. Um, and like I said, I'm, uh, anybody that, um, you know, I'm, I'm now an advisor with you guys. And so if there's anything, anything, any way that I can help, uh, both you and your listeners, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm, I'm more than happy to, to, to do what I can for, for the sake of, uh, for the sake of the class of people that you're, you're trying to reach. Appreciate that. Yeah. Gerard can be found in our mentor area of the site. Uh, definitely check them out. And we'll also link, we'll put this podcast up on the site and you can, we'll link to the, your mentor profile as well. Amazing. So people can find you easier. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.